Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of the Breachside Broadcast. In celebration of our 50th broadcast, we have a very special treat for you. Two stories in one episode. Our first tale tonight features that bold union organiser and arcanist, Victor Ramos, and his confrontation with Rasputina on a cold, wintry night much like this one. The Miners and Steamfitters Union is a powerful organisation in Malifaux, and I know that this Ethervox station has come under scrutiny for forcing staff members into allegedly dangerous situations. I would like to assure the Union that these claims are totally unfounded. We follow all health and safety regulations to the letter. Besides, as everyone knows, on this side of the breach, danger is always around the corner, especially around the corner of Corridor 27B in the basement of our recording studio. This corridor is clearly marked, Enter at your own risk. Indeed, the sign is written in blood, which I think you'll agree makes the point all the more clear. I ask you, dear listener, what more could I have done to prevent the tragic events of last fortnight? In unrelated news, we are seeking new interns here at the station. Applicants with too much gristle need not apply. Without further ado, I am pleased to present the first of this evening's tales, Still Stranger Things, right after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Miners and Steamfitters Union. This is a message to all Union brothers and sisters from Victor Ramos himself. He urges you to resist the oppression of the Guild and stay strong in the face of seemingly impossible odds. Remember, solidarity gives us strength. We must never give in in the face of oppression. Together, we can overcome. Join the union today and receive half off your first month of dues. Stranger Things. Ramos watched as the pins went in. People always thought that was the worst part, shoving the pins into the bleeding stump before it had time to close over. It wasn't, of course. Joss lay on the table, breathing heavily as steam arachnids scampered around him, assembling the pieces of his new right arm. It was Rasputina, he panted. She... His words were cut off by a throaty grunt as an arachnid shoved another pin into the stump. She has started killing the priests up on the mountain. And when she's done, the body, she... Another grunt. Another pin. Ramos held up his hand and shook his head. You've already said enough, old friend. Save your breath. 
This next portion will take all the strength you have. Joss let his head drop back down to the table as Ramos took a large soul stone from his pocket and began capturing the magical currents held within it, shaping them to his will. Attaching a metal limb to a body is nothing but gory surgery without the ability to use the new appendage. Ramos reached out with his power and felt where Joss's arm should have been attached. He let the power flow into the stump, infusing every nerve ending with intense magical energy, energy powerful enough to control metal as if it were flesh and blood, energy powerful enough to magnify what the nerves were already feeling a thousandfold. Joss threw his head back and let out a blood-curdling scream. His body thrashed as steam arachnids piled on his remaining limbs, holding them down so he would not injure himself. Foam flecked at the edges of his mouth, and his eyes rolled into the back of his head as waves of sheer agony racked every fibre of his being. This was the worst part. Ramos held up his own mechanical right arm, curling the fingers into a fist. He stared at the unnatural metallic fingers. His mind wandered back to that night. That painful, terrible night. At least Joss had not had to attach the limb himself. Shaking his head, Ramos slowly unclenched his iron fist and looked at his right-hand man lying broken on the table. Rasputina would pay for this. Ramos left his workshop and addressed the two guards outside the door. Come with me. I have business to attend to, and I may need a show of muscle. They climbed the mountain silently. The two guards had worked for Ramos long enough to know better than to question him when he was in a mood like this. Ramos climbed over rock and snow, ignoring the sharp edges that dug into his hands and the cold that tore at his flesh. He moved like one of his own constructs, silently driven to a single purpose, ignoring any obstacles. The two guards were not quite so determined. They struggled to keep up, even though Ramos was their senior by decades. Even the strength of youth was no match for the sheer rage which propelled Ramos up the mountain. Up and up they climbed, scaling the mountain which seemed to pierce the sky itself, until they finally came to a flat ridge which opened up into a small clearing. The ground was thick with pure white snow. Cruel wind whipped around them, threatening to send the men hurling to their deaths. In the middle of the clearing stood Rasputina, blood covering her neck and mouth. Around her were the few remaining priests and silent ones. The priests were chanting, the silent ones circling them with a predatory grace. At the far end of the ridge, against the side of the mountain, stood a hulking beast with curling horns. Its body rippled with muscle, blue runes burning on its white skin. A girl stood beside it, another silent one. Ramos' guards gave each other a nervous look, but Ramos himself bored his gaze into Rasputina, his rage blinding him to anyone else present. You, Ramos bellowed, his voice thundering across the mountain as he pointed a metallic finger at Rasputina. You have assaulted one of my men, and you must answer for your crime. For a moment, the mountain was silent, except for the cold wind whistling through the air. Rasputina eyed Ramos and spoke slowly, as if she were choosing her words carefully. I do not answer to anyone. I have defied December himself, and I bow to no man. 
A blood-stained snarl slowly curled her lips in defiance. You will answer to me. I will not allow what you have done to go unpunished. I will not allow the pain you caused to be felt by your victims alone, Ramos said, his voice lowering to a hiss as he spoke. The priests and silent ones surrounding Rasputina tensed, watching her carefully. Rasputina gave them a quick glance. Very well, then, she answered. We will settle this as a contest between you and I. Your people will not interfere. It wasn't a request, simply a cold statement of what the future would hold. Ramos nodded and held up his hand to let the two guards know that he agreed and they were to stay back. The two men stayed huddled close to the edge. Rasputina lunged, sending a blast of air at Ramos, aiming to knock him off the mountain and to end things quickly. But the old man held up his hand, and there was a loud crack as the attack rammed into the electrical force field Ramos created, sending sparks flying into the sky. Even with his repulsion spell, Ramos was still knocked back. He hadn't expected that amount of sheer force. Rasputina attacked again, sending daggers of ice hurtling at Ramos' head, and again the attack was met with a crack of thunder and sparks. Ramos recovered quickly and held out a soul stone, drawing its power to create a surge of electricity. Vengeful lightning flew from Ramos' fingers as he tried to wend his opponent. But Rasputina was too quick. She lifted her arms and let out a quiet chant as a pillar of ice erupted from the ground in front of her, absorbing the lightning. Out of his opponent's view, Ramos took the opportunity which had been given to him. He reached into his coat, grabbing bits of scrap, wiring, and tools which he had with him, and tossed them into the snow around the pillar. Then he shot another burst of electricity at the ice pillar, blowing it into fine powder which covered the metallic bits on the ground and exposing Rasputina. Rasputina had been waiting for the pillar to come down. As soon as it did, she lifted her arms and let out a cry. The ground around Ramos began exploding, sending shards of razor-sharp rock and ice flying at him. This time Ramos had no choice but to jump and roll out of the way. It wasn't his preferred method of escape and a shard of rock stuck in his leg. The blast had simply been too powerful. This was not the Rasputina he was used to. The ice witch slowly stalked toward her wounded foe, a smile spreading on her lips and causing frozen blood to flake and fall from her face. Ramos stayed on the ground. It appeared as if he was frozen in fear, but anyone who knew him would be able to tell that he was simply waiting. A half-smile curled on the edge of his lips, and Ramos closed his fist on his last soulstone. Mechanical spiders erupted from the snow beneath Rasputina's feet, latching onto her ankles, and Ramos extended his hand, drawing in his will for one final, fatal attack. Rasputina looked him in the eye, her smile never fading. There was something off about that. Ramos looked around. All of the priests stood poised to attack. The silent ones held their arms ready as if to cast a spell. And the hulking beast watched, its face showing nothing but teeth. In that moment a thought entered Ramos' head which he very rarely had. He had allowed his emotions to rule him, something he rarely allowed. This had been a very bad idea. Rasputina took the delay to send another shard of ice at Ramos. But this one did not have the same power as the others, and Ramos rolled away from it easily, using the opportunity to roll to his opponent's feet. I could have finished it, he whispered, his voice a hiss. 
You have been a useful ally in the past. Perhaps we can end this. Rasputina grabbed the front of his shirt in both fists, lifting him off the ground. With your pretty toys, I know. I heard you empty your pockets, she said quietly in his ear. But you must understand. It is not easy to keep a cult of cannibals in line. If someone challenges my authority in front of them, sacrifices will need to be made. Rasputina called up a gust of wind and ice and used it to hurl Ramos further than she ever could with her own arms. When he lifted himself from the snow and turned to look at her, she nodded to his men. And he understood. Ramos dusted the snow from himself slowly and nodded at Rasputina, holding up one hand as if to relent. All of a sudden, the cruel wind died down and Rasputina relaxed. Ramos turned his back on her, heading back the way he had come. As he passed his guards, he flicked his wrist, and a jolt of electricity shot through them, bringing both to their knees. My apologies, gentlemen, he said softly. Wait, one of them pleaded, lifting an arm against the electrical current which was making his muscles spasm. Please, I have a family. Ramos nodded. I will fill out a report saying that you died in the mines. It will get your family better benefits from the Union. Ramos began his long, slow climb down the mountainside. Behind him, he heard Rasputina cry, A victory feast! The screams reached Ramos' ears on the wind as he descended, before they were finally cut short and faded into wet gurgles. Rays of morning sunlight filtered into the workshop. Joss sat upright, blinking away the first rays of a new day. Ramos was there, waiting for him. I thought you were going to sleep all day, the old man said, a grin spreading across his face. There will be time enough for that when I'm dead, Joss replied, sleep still heavy in his voice. He lifted his hand to shield his face from the sun and nearly clubbed himself in the face with his metal fist. It will take some time getting used to, but it functions. Ramos winced, thinking back to the early days of adjusting to his own mechanical limb. But with time, you'll forget that it isn't the original. Joss flexed his fingers, staring at the new appendage. Is there any pain? Ramos asked, genuine concern in his voice. He got up to inspect the area where the arm was attached. Nothing I can't handle. Hell, it will probably come in handy with my line of work, Joss grinned, but the edges of his lips quivered slightly. Ramos shook his head. Physical pain fades. It's explosive and memorable, and when it's happening it can seem like the only thing in the world. But it fades with time. Loss never fades. No matter how much time passed, Joss's arm, a piece of him which he had come into this world with, would never return. Ramos only knew too well how that felt. Joss saw the worry in the old man's eyes and changed the subject. What of Rasputina? Ramos let out a slow sigh. She's unpredictable. A wild card. I think she may have found a way to fight off what haunts her. He paused thoughtfully, 
at least for a time. She seems to have grown in power, and I think we may even be able to work with her in the future, when the situation grants it. Joss clenched his fist, but nodded. What of the two men you took with you? Ramos arched an eyebrow in surprise. He was still conscious when I left. Joss simply nodded. They didn't make it. Our second story tonight deals with those vile creatures who are a cursed blight upon Malifaux, the Neverborn. If I seem to be very familiar with their ways, it is only because I hate them so. My life has been dedicated to studying them so that I might more effectively resist their foul depredations. Some listeners have pointed out that I bear some resemblance to a never-born creature myself. This is slander, and anyone casting such aspersions will hear from my lawyer. Nevertheless, the following story is a delightful little jaunt through the streets of Malifaux with Lilith and Pandora. Despite the natural revulsion that the never-born cause me, I must admit that my heart is warmed by this tale of collaboration and conviviality. You'll see what I mean. I hope you enjoy Blood and Fears as much as I did. and fears. Fate is a fickle creature. There are some who can sense her, who can run their fingers through the weave of her design and even change outcomes completely. Some may use a deck of cards which have been exposed to the very ethers of the world. The youthful woman at the table established an order onto a shuffled deck, pushing her will into the cards, forcing them to obey. She would impose her order on the universe through these cards. So you're really going to do it? Candy stood by the fireplace where a small blaze was still heating a pot. A riffle of cards echoed through the small room, despite steady croaking of bayou toads and the buzzing of mosquitoes outside. Candy couldn't think of anyone who would want to live this far away from the city, especially if it meant eating gruel. She had tasted it, and it made her gag. Zora won't be happy with you peeping at the future. Pandora cut the deck and folded the two halves together again, bridging them until they lay even. I'm not looking into the future. I'm looking into the now. Go get some water. 
the little girl stood and put one hand on her hip. The other hand brandished the cracked wooden porridge spoon, dropping globs of pasty meal on the floor. Get the water yourself. I'm not... There was a look in Pandora's eyes that scared her into silence. Candy flicked the spoon, splattering gruel on the wall in thick grey-brown blobs. But with her protest lodged, she took up the old metal bucket by the door. She skipped out the door, bounding deftly over the corpse of the shack's owner. His face had been locked into terror, and his hands were clutched over his chest. Small rivers of blood seeped from his eyes and onto the floor around his head, forming an odd dark red halo. Candy hummed an old nursery rhyme to herself. It didn't take long before the deck felt truly shuffled, and Candy had returned with just enough water in the bucket to fill a bowl. Pandora focused her mind and the clear water turned foggy. It wouldn't give them the quicksilver clarity of Zoraida's portents, but she would be able to see the subject of her augury. The blade sliced nicely, slipping through the lungs of the archer without resistance or sound. He tried to alert his fellows, but the dark rooftop and his mad spasms failed to be heard amidst the revelry below. Lilith twisted the blade upwards and pulled it through the top of his body, leaving only unrecognizable meat and a longbow on the sloping clay tiles behind her. Her quarry hadn't covered his tracks well. His penchant for the depredations of the Honeypot Saloon gave her a place to start. Lynch's associates were helpful as always, and she had intended to wait for Mr. Rivers to return. She had grown impatient with waiting after a week. Few stayed away from the Honeypot for that long. Graves and Tannen had agreed to hold him there if he returned, and she had continued the long hunt. The trail had gone cold a few days ago. Lilith had been forced to walk among the filth for far longer than she wanted. Everywhere she looked, the sweaty, entitled, and willfully ignorant marched through her streets. They came and went, assuming ownership of a city they had no right to, and she had been forced to speak to them with words instead of violence. But now she had him. He was down there in the crowd, someplace amongst the floating paper lanterns, she twisted around to look at Barbaros and his brothers. They were kneeling over the archer, quietly digging into his belly with claws and showing fistfuls of meat into their mouths. The blood coated Barbaros's forearms and glistened on the plates of the steel sleeve he wore. He shrugged at her, and Lilith shook her head at him. The Nephilim all stopped their feast and waited for her orders. The others stretched their wings in a sign of readiness, but Barbaros nodded. His tendons had been magically severed by the vermin in the pits, and despite the ancient sorceries that Lilith could find, he would never fly again, or grow in size. She did not pity him, however. He was her knight. Kill them all, she said, but if you find rivers, leave him able to talk. He might not have it on him.
Are we there yet? Candy hung her head out the window to yell up to the coach driver. They clattered along the cobblestone street toward the little kingdom. No, little miss, and if you keep asking that same question, it will take longer. The gentleman with the reins laughed as he spoke. Pandora hated that sound. Candy sat back down, plopping herself onto the cushioned leather seat. I don't like him. Pandora nodded and said, Neither do I. The coach pulled to a stop and the coachman yelled down, There looks to be trouble ahead, ladies. I'll have to turn back here. Where would you like me to take you? To our destination, said Pandora. Looks like a riot up ahead. I wouldn't want to go there if I was you. The coachman had begun to wheel the horses around. Pandora spoke as she opened the door. You are not me. Stop the coach. We will walk from here. Candy bounded up to him with his payment. She handed him the script note and a hard candy in a bright blue wrapper. I added a sour candy. Just for you, she squealed as she pressed it into his hand. He thanked her politely and flicked the reins with one hand as he squeezed the candy from the wrapper and into his mouth with the other. The night carried the sounds of screams. Pandora sighed. That's Lilith's song. As the two made their way toward the cacophony, Pandora looked in the eyes of everyone who fled past them. They all fell as they ran, weeping and begging. Lilith moved through the crowd with reckless abandon, chopping down the terrified crowd two, sometimes three at a time. Barbaros herded them toward her. She shouted with each stroke, counting each death. Twenty-two. Twenty-two lives on your head, Rivers. Twenty-four. I can do this all night. Barbaros moved behind her, raising his armored fist in front of him. She twisted in time to see the small man standing no more than a dozen paces from her. He held up the small Gatling Derringer and turned the thumb crank. It consumed the small chain of bullets in an instance. Some peppered on the plates of Barbaros's armor, and others bit into his flesh. He grinned wide at the manling. By human standards, he might have been considered handsome. A broad jaw with a cleft in his chin sat below a crooked grin and sparkling blue eyes. He took a step forward, pushing a paper lantern that bobbed in the air aside. I'm here, Lilith, but you'll never find it. I've taken it beyond your reach. If it's so far beyond my reach, why don't you just tell me where it is, then Barbaros here will kill you quickly. Otherwise, I'll have to let him have some fun. Barbaros raked his macaweetle along the ground, sparking it on the stones. Rivers looked around as the crowd began to disperse. Barbaros charged him, rushing headlong with his brutal serrated weapon above his head. Rivers shouted a word, and in a puff of black smoke he vanished. Lilith spun around, searching the crowd and the high roofs for him. But the only trace he left was a mocking laugh. I'll start killing again, Rivers, Lilith shouted into the night, turning as she spoke. Rivers' voice came from nowhere and everywhere, bouncing off the stone and wood around them. Oh, you'd start killing the second I gave you what you want. I won't fall for that bargain. Pandora could hear Lilith shouting. Candy held a deck of cards up to her both hands serving as a table. Pandora took the top card from the deck and knelt before a bowl of cloudy water. She dropped it in and it landed face up. 
the jack of masks. Candy threw the rest of the deck into the gutter. The card dissolved, and she could see the handsome man with the troublesome future. He was standing in the sewer right below Lilith, grinning like an idiot. They japed at each other. He threw idle threats at Lilith. She made promises in return. She's thinking at him in straight lines. His magic will frustrate her all night. He is certain of his victory, and he is right to be. Let's disavow him of that notion. Pandora reached into her jacket and removed an intricate wooden box. Green mist seeped from the line where Lid met base. She opened it slowly, and her sorrows spilled forth. The ghastly creatures flickered in and out of reality, flowing down into the sewers through the street. Pandora turned her attention back to the bowl. She watched as one materialized behind rivers. He stopped talking mid-sentence and sighed, visibly shaken. Another sorrow slipped up beside him and slowly put its hand on his wrist. A single black tear trickled down his cheek. He shook himself and muttered something while drawing a symbol in the air. A burst of red lightning crackled out from him and the sorrows dissipated. He looked up, and through the augury he locked eyes with Pandora. Then he ran. Lilith spun around and shouted, I can feel your sorrows. Why must you drive my quarry to ground, Pandora? There was no sense in denying it now. Pandora stepped around the corner. The streets had cleared of the living, but corpses wet the cobblestones with blood, forcing Candy to hop over pools of ichor as they approached. He isn't just your quarry. There is something in his head that I require, Pandora spoke with a serious tone, but she did not chide Lilith as she did Candy. He has something I want. He hid it somewhere. I just need to give Barbaro some time with him. Lilith squared her stance, and her Nephilim moved to protect her flank. Screaming came from a nearby house. It was dark inside. Pandora nodded. He's in there, and he doesn't know it yet, but that's a dead end. Whatever he has that you want, it's on his person. Lilith squinted at Pandora, her mouth tightening into a thin, disbelieving line. He thinks he's more clever than he is. If he told you he hid it, then it's in his pocket. Pandora waved her hand as she elaborated. Good, said Lilith. Then he is mine. Candy looked up at the two of them and said, can't you drive him mad, she pointed to Pandora, while you tear him up? She moved her hand to indicate Lilith. Pandora nodded. If you kill him slow enough to let me get what I need, yes. Barbaros grinned as Lilith spoke. An equitable solution. Agreed. Candy clapped her hands. Hooray! Sharing! Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the 50th episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Stay tuned and here's to 50 more.